Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Well, this morning, I want to start with a question. What gets you into the spirit of Christmas? You ever thought about that? Maybe for you, you say, yeah, it's, it's watching those Christmas movies. I, I like watching Christmas movies. That kind of helps me have uh, the Christmas spirit. Or maybe for you, it's uh, baking. Maybe you love to just bake. You like to make those special treats that you rarely make. Uh, or maybe it's shopping. Some of you love to shop. Some of you are just like, yes, I can't wait to shop. And some of you are just like, oh man, Amazon Prime just does it all for me in about 45 minutes. I'm done with everybody's gift. And then Amazon even wraps it, delivers it. It's great. Yes. Thank you for destroying all the mom and pop shops. Just kidding. And, uh, but you're, you're just, you, you, you got the things that help you get into the spirit of Christmas. But what is the spirit of Christmas? Ever thought about that? Some people would say, oh, I know what the spirit of Christmas is. It's the spirit of joy. It's the spirit of peace, spirit of love, spirit of goodwill to all mankind. Man, isn't that interesting that those are all great things? But why is it that we relegate the spirit of Christmas to a season? You're telling me you only want joy seasonally? You only want peace seasonally? You only want happiness seasonally, peace seasonally. I mean, think about that for a second. What if I just said, hey, you know what? I only want to have a good marriage on Valentine's Day. The other 364, nah, I don't really care. I'll just, I'll just growl at my wife. I'll just, meh, what are you doing? You know, it's just, no, nobody wants that. I don't want it seasonally. I want it all year long. I mean, if I can have it, I want it. That's not being greedy. I think we could use a little bit more joy a little bit more peace, a little bit more uh, goodwill towards man. I think we could all agree that we could use a little bit more of that. But why is it the spirit of Christmas, we kind of relegate it to a season? I think it should be something so much bigger than that. You see, Christmas spirit, sadly, has become something that's just seasonal. But you know, a wrong spirit is like a bad smell. You can't see it, but you can sense it. My wife the other day, she said, oh, I was at a store and, uh, you know, you could just tell that you walked into a cloud of something and you're like, oh my goodness, what did I just walk into? You know, just, uh, we call that crop dusting. That's what we call that. It's uh, somebody had uh, um, something that didn't agree with them and they walked right in front of you and they crop dusted you. I said, that's exactly. She said, that's gross. I said, I know, it's terrible, terrible. And uh, I was laughing. She was like, what are you, a junior hire? I was like, nah, it never gets old. Uh, for a guy, it just never gets old, right? But it's, it's one of those things where uh, seasonally, we, don't, we miss out on the fact that a wrong spirit's like a bad smell. You can't see it, but you can, you can sense it. You can sense where uh, the fact that somebody at Christmas time is about to cry. There's always the crier at Christmas, you know, or they open up the present and they look and it's shiny, it's beautiful, and they unwrap it and then they look in the box and they look up and then they're just unhappy. You were like, wait a minute, that took a lot of time on Amazon Prime to get that for you. I mean, I, I put very little thought and effort and energy. I didn't even wrap it, but you should still be grateful and happy about it. You know, and it's like, wait a minute, what? No, but there's always the crier and it kind of ruins the spirit of Christmas, right? Well, my wife, 
all throughout our relationship, she loves to play practical jokes on me around Christmas time. Just, that's just, for whatever reason, since 2005 on, she's loved to choose Christmas time to play practical jokes. And in 2008, it was just before we were engaged, but we were about to be married a couple months later. So this is going to be our last Christmas kind of like single, right? So uh, I wasn't married, no kids, so I had money. So I was like, okay, this is the last Christmas. I'm just going to go all out because I finally got money and I'm going to spend it all on her. So I was like, hey, you give me your list. Whatever you want, I'm going to get it. You know, on that list, she was like, well, I'd like a pair of boots. I was like, oh, done. I'd like this purse. Oh, done. I'd like this jewelry. Done. This perfume. Done. Man, whatever she put on her wish list, it was just check, 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 check. I'm a great fiance. I just knocked it all out, right? And so then we were going to have Christmas at my parents' house, right? Uh, Because she was going to fly out to the Philippines and go there. And so, or actually Georgia, it wasn't the Philippines, it was Georgia. And so I was like, well, let's do Christmas at my house. Then when you fly out later on, you do Christmas over there. We'll do an early Christmas with my family. So we're over there and man, I'm watching as I got a large family. I'm watching everybody open their presents. And I'm weird if I buy you a gift. I want to watch you open it. And if you cry, I'm going to get mad at you. So fake it. You know, I, I'm like, I took time. I picked some out. I want to watch your reaction, right? I'm like, that's the least. And that's kind of the best part is watching their reaction. When you get them a good gift, you thought about it. And you're like, man, uh, I really hope they like this gift. I spent a lot of time, right? And so I like watching people open gifts. And so you're watching your brothers and sisters. You're watching their kids because I had some older siblings. And they have the kids. And you're, you're getting your niece and nephew presents. And you're just excited. You're watching everybody. And then I'm watching Jane open present after present after present after present after present after present. And then I started to notice something. Everybody else is opening presents. Jane has opened a lot of presents, but Micaiah has opened no presents. And that's when it started to, started to, started to happen. I started to lose the spirit of Christmas and a different spirit. The spirit of the Grinch was uh, coming upon me and I was none too happy. And I was about to take the who beast and the who feast and all that stuff. And I was about to get rid of all of it, right? I was, I was a little bit upset. I was, I was about to become the Christmas crier. That's what I was about to, I was, I was grown. I was 24 years old, but I, I was already starting to, you know, you're fighting back the tears. I was like, I got no Christmas present, you know, and I'm just looking around. Now, I did not know that this is all part of Jane's elaborate plan because she told me, she looked over at me and she was like, oh, I forgot to get you a present. I was like, what? What? You forgot? You can't forget to give your fiance a present? How do you do that? We're about to get married in two months. We've been planning this thing. You knew it was happening. And then I wasn't buying it because Jane is the meticulous planner. She plans out everything. We once went on a vacation and we did not get to sit down. We did not get to rest. She's like, I didn't plan that into the the vacation. I was like, a vacation is about doing nothing. You planned every second of it. And we we get up early. I was like, this is not a vacation. That's not a vacation at all. She's like, it is one for me. I feel more productive, right? And uh, so I was like, how did a meticulous planner forget about buying their fiance a gift? So I was starting to get a little bit upset. So I was starting to, you know, like what every future spouse loves to hear. I was starting to give a little lecture about Christmas, that it's not polite if you get a gift and you don't bring a gift for somebody else. I was like, that's just not polite. That's kind of rude. And then I'm, I'm going after it, guys. Uh, and it's not good. I'm just, I'm just like, oh, I didn't have a present. And I was, I was really, really upset and frustrated. And then I did not know that this was all some elaborate joke that everybody was in on. Because in 2008, uh, 
something big was being sold at that time. It had just came out. You couldn't find it. Uh, Target would get like one delivered and there would just be a mob rush. And then what you could do is you could buy it and you could resell it. And so at the time, the Nintendo Wii had just come out. It brand new. Nobody could find it. And I'm not like a big video game person, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool to have, you know, just, I didn't have kids, didn't have a wife at the time. So no responsibility, all that free time. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll play some games. And the Wii had just come out and I was like, that might be cool. And at the time, the Wii was supposed to be 350 bucks but there was none to be had. So she had searched all over San Diego and she had found one, but it cost $800. That's crazy. But here's the thing. I still have that Wii and the box to this day. I still kept it. It's like mint condition. I'm hoping to get my $800 back eventually. That's a vintage, right? And so, uh, but what had happened is she had tricked me into thinking that I didn't have anything coming, but really I had something really good coming, but I was about to lose the spirit of Christmas. That is Christmas about giving, not about receiving. And I had flipped the spirit of Christmas and I was about to have a bad spirit. But this morning, the spirit of Christmas, what can we learn about the spirit of Christmas? And if you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter number two, because I believe the wise men can teach us a lot about the spirit of Christmas. And I want to read just a few verses in chapter 2 as we dive into this message this morning about the spirit of Christmas. Because sadly, I think we're settling for this being a seasonal spirit and not something that God wants you to have all year round. And in verse number 1 of chapter 2, the word of God says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. May I stop for a moment? You say, why is Herod upset? These are just wise men coming, looking for baby Jesus. Why, are they, why is Herod upset? The thing you need to know about Herod was Herod was a ruthlessly insecure man. If anybody threatened his throne, he had you executed. He executed his own children if he felt threatened by them. Very insecure leader. And so this person's troubled. And then Israel, all the city of Jerusalem, they were troubled because they were like, man, if this insecure leader is upset, what, what, what is he going to do to us? So everybody's kind of like worried now because here's these wise men. They're coming to the sitting king saying, hey, we're looking for a king. And he said, well, I'm the only king here. No, 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 we're looking for a baby king. You know, that's what we're looking for. And all of a sudden, he's upset. Verse number four, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, they inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who, shall, who will shepherd my people Israel. That's a direct quote from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse number 2. Notice verse number 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I might come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. 
And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I want to just bring out three truths this morning. And that's simply this. Where did they go? What did they give? And what did they gain? Just for a second. Where did the Magi go? What did the Magi give? And what did the Magi gain from this whole experience? When it comes to Christmas, and when it comes to the Christmas story, there's a lot of details that Matthew chapter number two unlocks for us. Because here these magi are from the east. Most likely they're from Babylon. And they followed a religion called Zoroastrism. Something. I'm sure somebody will fact check me on that, but it's something like that. And they would look to the constellation of the stars, and that was their religion. They, they, that's what they followed was the stars. This wasn't Christian. These weren't uh, people that were wanting and hearing about the messianic birth from some ancient scroll or text. No, they saw the sign in the stars. And so they went to go meet this Messiah, this, this king. And so where did they go? Well, logically, where would you find a king? in a palace, not a stable. So they go to the palace, which is their, obviously their first mistake. <laughs> One person made a joke about the wise men. They said, if the wise men had been women instead, they would have asked directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, brought practical gifts, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and there would have been peace on earth. <laughs> if the wise men had been women. And I totally believe all of that would have been true. <laughs> but these are men. And so they come to Jerusalem, they come to the palace, and they're thinking, hey, we're going to find the king at a palace because that's where a king should be. And, you know, we, we kind of make the same mistake today. We kind of have an expectation of how things should go. And we project our expectation on everyone and everything around us. I call it our ideal Christmas. I preached a message several years ago about how we often make an idol out of what is ideal. And we have this ideal image of Christmas. The only problem is our ideal image isn't real. It's okay to have ideals, but it's not real. But too often we turn our ideal Christmas and what happens is our Christmas doesn't live up to our ideal. So our ideal is stealing the joy of what is real. You can't enjoy the family you have because you're wishing that maybe somebody else was there or somebody else cared more or bought you a better present. So it's stealing the joy out of the moment because you had this expectation, because you went to this place expecting to find something and it was not there. And so what happens is you can't engage fully because you are like, my ideal is this. I have this ideal of marriage. I have this ideal of parenting. I have this ideal of church. I have this ideal of my friends and they need to match up to to my ideals. May I give you something for free? Write it down. It'll help you in every area of your life. You should not expect something from somebody if you have not expressed it from that person. Too often we have all these expectations of people that we have never expressed to them. And so we're walking around with all these expectations that people need to meet and people don't even know that you have that expectation. May I remind you, no one in this room can read your mind. 
Your boss can't read your mind. Your spouse can't read your mind. Your partner can't read your mind. Your pastor can't read your mind. Only God can read your mind. So please express what is on your mind, especially if you're going to hold an expectation of us that if we don't know it, yes, we're bound to disappoint it. And so these wise men, they show up at the palace. And in their mind, this is where the king should be because they were confused about what kind of king Christ would be. They thought, man, he's going to be like every other king we've seen. Every other king wants a kingdom with a palace and wants servants and wants to be served. No, our king's different. Our king's very different. He's so different, in fact. Even the scripture lets us in on how different he was. Verse number two, it says, where is he that is born king? Stop for a second. No one is born a king. Right now in the United Kingdom, there's a king, King Charles. But was he born a king? No. He was a prince who became a king. But our king never started out as a prince. He said, I'm not a prince. I'm born king. Totally different from every other king. And these wise men recognize we're looking for a king who he's not about to one day become a king. He always has been. He always will be. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And they saw that and they recognize he's a different kind of king. He's different from his birth. He's a unique king. He's a king that stands different from all other kings. And so for oftentimes we get confused about Christ And you and I, we've got to step back because we often miss out on great plans because they don't match our preferences. You and I, we have these preferences in the way we want life to work, the way we want things to look, the way we want our spouse to behave, the way we want our job to to work. We have all these preferences, but we could be missing out on some great plans that God has. God wanted to show these wise men that there's a different kind of king. And the world needed a different king. They didn't need another king like Herod. A king that was insecure. A king that was uh, easily uh, angered. They didn't need another king like that. They needed a different king. A king that didn't take life, but give his life. That's how Jesus behaved. It was a total upset from what they were used to. And so we often miss out on great plans because they're not going to match our preferences. And here's the saddest part of the story of all. You know, here's Herod. He hears these wise men. And then immediately he goes to, the Bible says in verse 3 and 4, he goes to the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And he says, hey, they're looking for this Messiah. Where is he supposed to be born? And this is crazy. It almost blows my mind. In verse 4 he says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests, scribes, and the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. Verse 5. Without blinking, without making a trip to some ancient scroll, without going to some historical document, without picking Wikipedia real quick. They didn't do any of that. Verse number five. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, thus is written by the prophet. They didn't skip a beat. They knew exactly where the Messiah was supposed to be born. Now hold up one second. Wait a minute. Why aren't these priests saying, hey, let's go with you? Why aren't these priests saying, hey, yeah, we've already been there. How many of you have a nativity scene at home? May I see your hand? You have a nativity scene? Yeah, yeah, okay. I want to find something out. If your nativity scene like mine, like my nativity scene has baby Jesus, it's got Joseph, it's got Mary, it's got some shepherds, 
It even has some wise men, even though the wise men, we know they weren't there on time because they were men. They needed directions. They didn't make it on time. So they were then the nativity. They're not there. You know, I don't know about your nativity, but my nativity doesn't have priests there. It doesn't have scribes there. Hold up. They knew exactly where he was to be born. How come they never showed up? You know, there's a big difference between ignorance and indifference. It'd be one thing if they said, we are ignorant to where he's going to be born. No, this is proof. They weren't ignorant. They were indifferent. Here's what's amazing. They read the word. They even reported on the word. They just never responded to the word. Isn't that so much like us Christians today? We read the word. We can report on the word, but we're not going to respond to the word. We're not going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Love our neighbor as ourselves. No, thank you. Serve one another. No, thank you. It's better to give than to receive. No, thank you. I like receiving more than giving. No, thank you. Why is it that these priests, they were indifferent could it be because to them they were judging something's potential by its packaging and that they didn't want to follow a king who was born in a barn? That they wanted a king that rode in on a horse with gold and with trumpets and with uh, fanfare and pomp and circumstances? That they didn't like the packaging? I think so many times we judge things by its packaging, doesn't, don't we? We think that person doesn't have the potential. They could never do it. That won't ever happen. And we look at something, we judge it by its packaging instead of stepping back and saying, wait a minute, what am I missing out on? Here in this passage, they were judging the fact that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a poor town. I haven't been to Bethlehem, but I went to the Holy Land. And they said, it's really not worth going. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Why is it not worth going to Bethlehem? We're here. Let's go. They were like, there's nothing. There's nothing there. I was like, man, it'd still be kind of cool to go to Bethlehem. So I still have to go back to the Holy Land, go to Bethlehem, because our whole tour didn't want to go to Bethlehem. Because the tour guide was like, no, I don't want to go. I was like, loser. And I was going to go by myself. But then the guy was like, it's kind of dangerous. And uh, you, you, your family ain't going to pay no ransom, all right? No, you don't want to go. So I, I still haven't been to Bethlehem, but I've been all over the Holy Land. But it's amazing how even today it's looked down on. Back then, it was even more looked down on. Micah 5 verse 2 even says it. Even though you're the smallest, you're, this, you're just Bethlehem, little old Bethlehem. So they were despising what great thing was about to happen there. And it's amazing how we can despise what great things God's going to do in the life of our children and our family and our friends and our church because we don't see it. We just look at the packaging and we don't see its potential. And God is saying there's so much potential there, but you're fixated on the packaging. You know, I've gotten some amazing gifts that had horrible packaging. Can I tell you the packaging that actually came with that Nintendo Wii? Jane on purpose disguised it to look like junk on purpose under the tree. And I was like, that is messed up. And then I opened it and I was like, oh, this is a great gift. The packaging was terrible. Something you would just be like, not, not, nothing good's there. But then, come on, we've all gotten those gifts. Like, a couple years ago, it was our 10th anniversary. So I bought a, some jewelry for Jane. But I made the mistake of buying a jewelry box that looks a lot like a Tiffany's jewelry box. Do not make that mistake. There is a big difference, apparently. A big difference. Like, a couple extra zero difference. And I did not know that there was such a big difference. 
So I slid it across the table all slick, and I watched Jane's face lit up, and she was blushing. She was all excited, and she opened it up, and there were little diamond earrings. She was like, it was visible, her disappointment. It was visible. She was like, I thought it was Tiffany's. I was like, I'm a pastor. I ain't got no Tiffany's money. You married the wrong person if you want Tiffany's. I could change my name to Tiffany, but I mean, that's a whole different story. That's about as close to Tiffany as you're ever going to get. We can go in there and smell that Tiffany air. We ain't got no Tiffany money. Come on now, Tiffany's. And here in, in this passage, we can make that mistake where we have nice packaging, but the gift doesn't match the packaging. The goal here is to stop judging somebody's potential based on their packaging. Stop looking at your spouse thinking, I don't know if they'll ever make it. No, no, no. Look beyond that. Stop looking at your children saying, I don't know if they'll ever get out of this. No, no, no. Look at the potential there. Even in the Old Testament, what did God tell the prophet Samuel? Man looks on the outside, but God sees the heart. And as the church, we have to stop and say, God, help us to stop judging the packaging. We go through our communities and our cities, and we are missing all the great things God has because we're labeling somebody's packaging. We could say, oh, they've been divorced. Oh, they're an addict. Oh, they've had some ups and some downs. Oh, they don't look as talented. Oh, they've got some struggles. And God says, yeah, they're a choice servant. I'm use them in a powerful way. I'm molding them and making them and getting ready for something great. And we would miss out on somebody's great potential because we're judging their packaging. So this Christmas, you wrap up the most expensive gift and the ugliest wrapping paper, and you teach those people that lesson. Say, hey, that's, that, that's what the pastor told me to do. That's why you're getting raggedy old newspaper. Uh, the, the, those ads that come in from Lucky Supermarket for a, a tri-tip for $5.99 a pound. You take that and you wrap up some Tiffany's. And then you show them, hey, here you go. Don't judge the packaging. And if you can afford Tiffany's, help me out. <laughs> help a brother out. See, in this passage, as I was studying, I realized that the other reason the priest may not have gone was the fact that in that day and age, Herod was also called Savior. Because when it came to what he did for the Jewish people to win their favor, he took the temple that we just studied the last several weeks and he made it look beautiful. If you were to go to Israel today, you would go to a place called Caesarea. It's by the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful city. It's got the ruins there and it was just magnificent. And Herod the Great made it all. He was an ingenious architect. He knew how to make things stunning. And I think the priest actually had found a counterfeit king that they liked. They were like, he could be our savior. Yeah, he's not the best, but he did rebuild our temple. He made some cool cities that we like to enjoy by the coast. He entertains us. How many of us are settling for the counterfeit? When Christ says, I'm the real thing. You see, one of the greatest things that we need to get past is that we often want God to exceed our expectations, don't we? I've been to restaurants that I was like, man, that exceeded expectation. I've gone to restaurants that did not exceed expectation. I have told people over and over, I have the gift of finding hair in my food. I don't know what it is. Air is, I just, I find hair in my food. We went out to eat at, uh, I won't name the place, um, in case you like to dine there. And Jane was not happy 
because it was, the service was bad, it was more expensive, and we were eating there. And then I look down, and I see this massive hair. This is just a couple weeks ago, just a massive hair. And then I held it up, and I looked at her, and then she got happy. I was like, I know why you're happy. Because you know we're about to get some free food. That's what you, you know. Because this whole experience is bad. And she just looked at me and she's like, yep. I was like, but why has it always got to be me? How many hairs have I already eaten, right? And then the other day, I've taught my son Cain the same thing. He's eating soup. And he's like, there's an eyelash in my food. I was like, whoa, he's got the anointing. He found an eyelash. That's even, I mean, for me, it has to be a big hair. But he's like, that's an eyelash right there. He called it out and everything. And so we're all like checking. And sure enough, it's a tiny little eyelash, right? This is incredible. Man, we've, we've been to those places that do not exceed expectation. They're below expectation. Here's the problem. You want God to exceed expectation in your marriage, in your relationship, in your job, in your finances, in your walk with Christ. To exceed expectations means this. He first, and this is the hard part about it. God first to exceed expectation means your original expectation will be disappointed. And we don't like that. For God to exceed something means he had to disappoint something else. And some of us, we get stuck there. Because you're at that part where God is disappointing your original expectation. And you're like, God, I I felt like we would be here right now. God, I felt like we would have been farther in the relationship. I felt like we would have had the kids. I felt like the business would have been doing better. I felt like the economy would have been here. I felt like my spiritual walk would have been here. And God's like, no, no, no. I got to disappoint something so I can exceed something. I've got to take this away. I've got to take your ideal and I got to get it out of the way so that you see me. So that's the first thing that all is packaged under. What did they, where did they go? Secondly, what did they give? We got to move quickly. In verse number nine, when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with his, with Mary, his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. How many of you by a show of hands have ever been to a baby shower? Can I see your hands? Been to a baby shower? Yeah. Baby shower. I have been to a very few baby showers, although I've had three kids. I don't go to a lot of baby showers, just not a masculine place for a dude to be. And, uh, but I will tell you this, the ones I've been, never looked over at a gift and somebody unwraps them. I was like, oh good, some myrrh. That's helpful. Oh, some frankincense. That's so helpful. Although I will say gold is always helpful. You bring gold to a baby shower? No, no, you're, you're good. You're good. Gold is always good. People will always take gold. But think about the gifts that they brought. They just don't make sense. Like diapers, baby wipes, the little snot sucker thing, that's helpful. A little thermometer, that's helpful. Baby clothes, helpful. Toys, helpful. Gift cards, very helpful. A bottle of wine for mom and dad, very, very helpful. But otherwise, we look back and we're like, uh, this is not very helpful gifts. So it's not only where they went, but it's also what did they give? They give these gifts, and these gifts are actually a picture of who Jesus was. The gold is because he's a king, so a king deserves the gold. And yet you and I, we often hold back the gold, don't we? 
Here's what's amazing. They had made this long journey that had taken months and months and months to make. They had spent all that time, effort, and energy. They're away from family. They had sacrificed a lot. And by the time they get there, it would have been one thing for Mary and Joseph to say, hey, just your presence is enough. You don't have to give a gift. You know how when you spend all that time, you travel to go see family, and you're the one that flew the farthest. You had the most effort and energy. And they're like, hey, don't bring anything. Just show up. Just show up. That's what they could have done, but that's not what they did. They were like, we're going to show up, but we're also bringing some expensive gifts. So they brought some gold because that's what you give to a king. And then they also brought some frankincense because he's not just a king. He's also our high priest. What is the high priest? The high priest is the one that makes intercession for our sin. That's the one. We don't go to some person. You don't confess your sins to me. We go directly to God. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain help in time of need. We don't confess our faults one to another. We go directly to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sins. That's where we go, and that's where we receive the forgiveness. That's where God gives us that forgiveness. You see, and then myrrh. Myrrh was what you would use for embalming. It's what you would use for a salve, for healing. It also reminds us that Jesus is our healer. Because life is going to be painful and difficult. But Jesus is a healer. You know, pain that has been transformed is no longer pain that can be transmitted. I don't have to hold on to that pain anymore because there is a healer that can heal. Verse number 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Lastly, as we close, what did they gain though? What did they gain? But let me back up first before we answer that question. It's interesting to me that these wise men were not Christians. They weren't Israelites. Why were they so interested? Why would they go to all this work to go and find Jesus? I mean, you're kind of looking for a needle in a haystack. It wasn't like they had a GPS tracker. It wasn't like they had MapQuest. It wasn't like they had anything like that. They're just saying, we're gonna follow this star which astrologers today are kind of confused. What star is it? Some people have this debate that it's actually two planets that shine brighter that make kind of a superstar when they're passing. It takes three months to pass and they come back the other three months. That's why for a season they couldn't see the star. There's that whole speculation. But still, it kind of defies logic. Like, what star were they seeing? But you got to step back for a second. Like, what if God was trying to get these magi's attention? Because the Bible tells us clearly and plainly that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. So God wants everyone to know him. Everyone. So how would God summon an astrologer? By using the stars. But to say God was using the stars, you have to go back. Because, I mean, even the brightest star series... You know how long it takes the light from the brightest star in our heaven to reach earth? Nine years. You know, the, the Alpha Centauri is the nearest star system. The light from Alpha Centauri, it takes four years to reach earth. That means God was planning to reach these magi long before they ever thought to go on this journey. But it's not just nine years, it's not just four years. You could go to Genesis chapter number one and verse number six because Jesus did far more than just send the light of a star. 
Bible says in verse 6 of Genesis 1, and God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then as an afterthought, he said this, he made the stars also. God's like, hey, I made the sun and I made the moon and oh yeah, I made some stars. What do you mean you just made some stars? The sun is ginormous and now we're able to see so much more of our solar system and our galaxy. You see, God from the very beginning of time was thinking about these magi and he was thinking, I want to summon them. This week, Santa Clara County sent me a summons to appear for jury duty. I was like, it's Christmas. What am I doing showing up for jury duty around Christmas? That's it. I'm either wearing an elf costume, a Santa costume, or I'm showing up as Buddy the Elf. I'm doing one of the three. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing it. If I have to be there, we're going to make everybody happy and just, just throw out candy canes or something. And then I'm going to say, nobody's guilty. Everybody's innocent. That's going to be my vote. If I got to be a jury duty. But how else would you summon the Magi? You would use the stars. And it's amazing that God would use light to guide them to the light of the world. You see, God cared about you long before you even knew that God cared about you. And God is using the light of the stars. And it's amazing because throughout all the time, we've kind of used the stars to navigate by. And yet these wise men were using the stars to find the one that their hearts needed. You say, I don't think they gained anything though. It looks like they just spent a lot of time, effort, energy, and finances. Because that's, you're measuring the gap. You're stuck in this gap. And that's what's messing with the spirit of Christmas for you. Because you can look at the wise men and say, hey, they just lost, they didn't gain. But they actually gained so much more. You say, how do we know? Because in this passage, it says in verse number 12 that they went after meeting Jesus, they left, they went on another path. That gives me two things. That first of all, you got to understand the king in that area was ruthless, cutthroat. Don't you think Herod was going to come after him? But they didn't care. They had just met Jesus. They had an encounter with Jesus. And since they encountered Jesus, their whole life changes. They got to take a new path. And if you've encountered Jesus, you're not going the same path that you were on. You're going a different path. Your life has changed. It's a 180. You're going somewhere else now. But then think about this. With Herod, he was the king, but they no longer, after meeting Jesus, they no longer recognized him as the king. Their loyalty had switched royalty. They were like, hey, we serve a new king. Herod, you are not a king. You're a counterfeit king. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they were exceeding joyful. They were grateful. They were happy. They had felt like they gained. See, you and I can approach this Christmas at all things that didn't happen, all things we didn't get. Or you can step back and say, man, there's a whole lot that God did give me. You see, God was never interested in their destination. He was trying to get them to make a decision. God is not so much interested in your destination. It's the decisions you make. It's the decision where you receive or reject Christ. That's the goal. This, this morning, it's will you have the Christmas spirit or you reject it? You say, what is the Christmas spirit? It is what you choose it to be. The Christmas spirit is what you choose it to be. Is it a spirit of joy or is it a spirit of ingratitude? You get to choose. You can say, I've gained or I'm living in the gap and I don't have enough. You get to decide. This Bible 
never promised Micaiah Ermler a good marriage, although I have one. This Bible never promised me three healthy children, although I have it. This Bible never promised me a roof over my head, though I have it. This Bible never promised me money in the bank to pay my bills and be able to take my wife out on a date, but I have it. What this Bible promised me is that if I receive Christ, I get eternity in heaven. Everything else is gravy, is extra. Everything else is the cherry on top. But yet, why is it so often we come to this season and we're ungrateful and we're like, God, well, I want a better marriage and my kids are doing this and I don't have enough toys and I don't have enough joy and I don't have enough peace. And if I just had that job and that promotion, I just had that. Stop lying to yourself. You would not be happier. You would not. Stop lying to yourself. Because a few years ago, you said, if I could be where I was, where you are today, a few years ago, you were saying, if I could just be there, then I'd be happy. And you're there, and you ain't happy. Unless you choose to be. Because the spirit of this season is what you choose. You know, a few years ago, I was just like, man, if we could ever own land, now church owns land. And I was like, well, if we could ever have a building, I'll be happy. It's never going to stop. You just have to pick a point and say, I'm grateful for what I've got now. And I'm choosing joy in this season. In spite of everything else going on, you get to decide the spirit of Christmas. Stop waiting on it. Stop expecting like Scrooge McDuck to show up and three ghosts of Christmas going to show up. And Christmas of past, present, and future. Stop all that. And decide, no, I've got Christ. I don't have a counterfeit king. I've got the king of kings. He's in my heart. He's ruling and reigning. And the only thing that I have been promised is that I have an eternity. I've got something to look forward to. But he gave me more than just that. Because you know what Micaiah Ermler deserves? I deserve eternity separated from God. That's what I deserve. If you want to talk about what we deserve, it's separation from God. But we don't have that. God made it possible so that we could spend all eternity with him through Jesus Christ. But yet here we are, all we can focus on is the gap. Oh man, if I could just make a little bit more money. Man, if I could just kind of get a passive income. If I could just finish schooling. Man, if I could just do this. You're always stuck in this gap mentality. Instead of just saying, you know what? Right here is good. I get it's not perfect. But just stepping back and saying, you know Wow, I'm grateful. The other day, I was stuck in a gap mentality. Oh, man, God, this year's over. I felt like we'd get more done, have more. And then as I'm walking, I saw a mom park her van in the handicapped parking. I saw the door slide open, and I saw she began to help her severely disabled son out of this van. And God in a moment, changed everything. I said, wow. They were going into Guitar Center. And I looked at the smile on that boy's face. And I said, oh, they're both happy. Even though in that moment, this boy will never shoot a basketball. He will never ride a bike. He probably will never get married. He probably will never accomplish some great physical feat. 
but in that moment, the look of joy on his face as they were going in. And I don't know if they were going to go make some noise on some drums. I don't know if they were going to go strum some guitars or uh, tickle some ivory keys. I don't know what they were going to do. But that mom and that son had so much joy on their face that I had to rebuke myself for being selfish. I had to say to myself, what do I have to complain about? Because to this day, God has kept my children healthy and strong. Doesn't mean my children are better. Doesn't mean I'm more worthy. But why is it we focus on the gap instead of all the gain? See, the gain is priceless. You can't put a price on it. It's priceless what they gained. What they gained was infinitely more. What you and I have is infinitely more. So we get stuck in this gap thinking, not in the gain thinking. How about you spend this Christmas saying, here's everything I've gained. Measure backwards. There was a day and time where I was like, I never think, I never thought we'd get this far. I never thought we'd do this much. Do you know in the last 12 months, our church, which is not a large church, has raised $1.6 million? $1.6 million the last 12 months. We don't even run 200 people. That's like every one of you given $10,000. And I know not everybody's been given $10,000 because we would have had this thing paid off. <laughs> not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm better. I'm grateful. But I just step back and I'm like, you know, there was a time where I had to get a part-time job and work at Target to pay the bills of the church. I worked a second job because the church could not afford to stay open. So I was like, all right, I'll get a second job. <laughs> and now I step back and I'm like, we are buying and building multi-million dollar property and buildings. I would work in a Target and I would see some of you at the church. And I would hide in my little red shirt and khaki pants. <laughs> it's not because I didn't want you to see me. because you wanted my discount. I knew it. I knew it. You didn't love your pastor. You just wanted his discount. You're at Target getting that discount. Now, there was just a time I was like, God, are we ever going to get out of this phase where I have to work a second job? Not that I'm above it. I'm willing to do what it takes. But it's real easy to look at the gap, isn't it? I'm just trying to say it's so easy that we miss the spirit of the season. Instead of saying, God, you're so good. I'm way over time, church. I apologize. Let's shut it down. My friend, nobody gains the whole world. The part that you can gain, you can't keep. And the part you get won't give you the satisfaction you want. And that's the truth of the matter. The wise men, that's why they were wise. So what is the spirit you're going to choose? It's really up to you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Worship team, can you please come to the platform? Heavenly Father, God, I, I feel that I can get so wrapped up in my own ingratitude, entitlement, selfish thinking, my own gap thinking, instead of stepping back and just seeing all the goodness of God. As I look around at, at what you're doing in our church and how you're saving people, how you're transforming lives, how you're building up a church in a difficult area. Father, as I watch families that have struggled this week and have overcome so much in just seven days and they're at church and they're worshiping with hands lifted high even though they have had a terrible week. And God, I see what you're doing and Father, I want to see something transformed in our valley. 
the church is the hope of the world, Southridge can change so many hearts and lives for you. But God, start right now and give us a spirit of Christmas, which is the spirit that we choose it to be. So help us to choose joy, peace, and gratitude. With heads bowed and eyes closed, can I pray for you? Would you say, Pastor, pray for me? I need to choose a different spirit in this season. Is that you? Lift up your hand. Can I pray for you? I want to choose the right spirit. Oh, amen. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you. God bless you. Father, I see these hands. I see these hearts. I just pray for them. I pray that you would bless, that you would work, that you'd move. I need to ask another question. Maybe today the greatest decision you choose is to accept Jesus Christ. And you say, today I want to invite Christ to be my Savior. Is that you? You'd slip up a hand. you say, yes, I want to pray to receive Christ. Is anybody like that today? You say, I want to receive Christ my Savior. You slip up a hand. Can I pray for you? Amen. I see that hand. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for these that have lifted their hands and saying yes to you. They want to receive you. They want forgiveness of sins. They want a future in heaven. And they want a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And they want forgiveness of their sins, God. I pray that they would have it sealed in their heart, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are saved, that they know you and they have a relationship with you and they choose joy. Pray that you would bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.